Morning, church. How is everybody? Well, well. You know what's interesting here is it kind of is quite a spread out room. I feel like I have to like be a little bit of a revolving carousel here, but that's okay. The other thing I'm just now noticing is that this isn't centered on this podium, which may <laughs> may make my uh, perfectionistic side a little bit off kilter, but that's okay. I can handle it, okay? Oh, Ian, you are such a servant. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, really glad to be here with you guys this morning. Um, really glad to be here uh, in this capacity, um, having the opportunity to be here um, on staff now with this church family. And before we kind of get into the message today, I just wanted to pause and thank everybody for the warm welcome that we've had. We have felt just so welcomed and loved. My whole family has. Um, Liz would say the same thing. By the way, it's her birthday today, so um, if you get a chance, tell her happy birthday. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get grief for that later on. Liz is not one to be like, oh, it's my birthday. Um, so anyway, uh, but we really have felt very much um, a lot of warmth and a lot of welcome from this family, and we're loving that, so thank you. Uh, thank you, too, for those of you who were able to come along to the commissioning service at Cantor last week. A number of you came along to that. Uh, there was actually something that happened, before I jump into the message today, there was something that happened during that time that I wanted to kind of just expand on a little bit. Uh, so for those of you who weren't there, we had this sweet time of prayer at the commissioning service where we had a bunch of people surround us and pray over us. And as that happened, um, at the very end, a friend, um, a guy who's associated with the Baptist Union of Scotland, a guy named Andrew Clark, um, he was asked to kind of close the prayer time. And in that time, he said a couple of things to us that were actually really profound and impactful to us. But um, later on in the week, uh, Martin and Scott both were like, hey, what was, what was that about? You know, like, what was God up to and what was he saying to you in that? And so I explained it to them and they're like, you need to share that with the church. So basically at the end of the service, or sorry, the end of that prayer time, Andrew got up and he, he said, two, he said, I'm going to say two things and they're going to sound a little contradictory, but they're not. He said, firstly... Um, this is, he said, look up, this is your family. He was, you know, saying the church, this is your family. And then the second thing he said is, this is not your home. And as he said those things, I think some people were like, okay, what, is, what does that mean? What's he saying? And I think this is actually one of the ways that we see God sometimes speaks through each other to encourage and firm up things in each other. And essentially what Andrew did in saying those two statements was basically affirm a lot of what Liz and I have felt God has been teaching us the last 12 months, the last year. God's been reminding us that our family is the family of God. So no matter where we go in the world, even if we are away from family in America or in Australia, we still have family. You're our family. And so in a very succinct statement, Andrew captured that, or I, I believe God's spirit through Andrew captured that. And then he went on and said, this is not your home. Another thing that God has been speaking to us as we've been reading his word, as we've been praying and trying to just process what God's doing in our own family is that none of us 
as believers, are at home until we are in the presence of the Lord. And so we're all sojourners. This is a temporary dwelling, this earth and this place. And he captured that again, just reminding us that, yes, we can, we can build houses, we can live in houses, we can, uh, we can live close to where we've grown up all our lives, or we can live on the other side of the world. But no matter what, ultimately our home is with God. Does that make sense? So that was, I just wanted to kind of expand on that a little bit to say that was really meaningful to us and that's kind of what it meant. And I believe this is one of the ways that God speaks sometimes is, again, using other people. So that's a total side point to the message for today, but just wanted to kind of elaborate on that a little bit. So I'm going to pray one more time and we're going to dive into the actual topic for today. Does that sound good? Okay, and I'm going to take this off because I can't decide if I'm hot or cold. So I'm just going to take it off. Um, God, thank you. Thank you that we're gathered together. Thank you that as we've been singing, just even now, that your spirit is alive and active. And that when we become Christians, your spirit comes and dwells inside of us. Thank you that you speak through your word. Thank you that you speak through your spirit. And that the encouragement, thank you for the encouragement that we can receive by that. And so even this morning, God, as we open your word, I pray that I would be led by your spirit to speak truth, to speak life, and to honor you with the words of my mouth. God, I thank you that you are here present with us. And I pray that you would be glorified in our time now as we study, as we learn, as we Open our minds and our hearts. God, pull us away from distractions and help us to hear from you. Thank you. Amen. God gives us rock-solid truths that we can depend on, but foolishly, we can act like these truths are either A, not there, or B, not reliable. And that's a sad reality because these truths, I believe, are like ropes that can anchor us to the rock wall of life. I'm going to use climbing as an analogy here, okay? If life is like a rock wall that we're climbing on, sometimes we ignore the truths that God gives us that we could use to anchor ourselves. And when we ignore these things or act like they're not there, these truths that He's given us, we can feel perched and precarious on the rock wall of life. You know, maybe the reason I'm thinking of this analogy is a few weeks ago when we were flying over to the UK, I watched a documentary movie called Free Solo. I don't know if any of you have seen it, but it's kind of this interesting story that follows this guy named Alex Hanold and his journey of attempting and successfully, thankfully, attempting to be the first person to climb up uh, Yosemite's very infamous uh, El Capitan. Rock face. Are you guys familiar with the rock face I'm talking about? It's this huge rock face that, that comes out of, of the valley floor and it goes up 3,000 feet. Okay, for those of you who think more in meters, it's almost a kilometer high. And this guy attempts and climbs up. It's not for those of you who don't like heights, by the way. He attempts and he climbs up this rock face. And obviously the risk of what this guy is doing is just immense. Like if he, if he slips, if he just has one lapse in concentration, he's done. 
And, and so what you learn as you watch this movie is that when you climb without ropes, you actually end up climbing differently. Like if you've got a rope, you're like, I'll try this, and if it doesn't work out, you know, I'll fall off, I'll get back on the rock face and try again. But what happens in the movie, yeah, you see this guy just like everything has to be just so because he's got no backup plan. He's got no other hope than his own grip and hold onto the rock face. And I think this kind of translates over to what we're saying this morning. When we live our lives without security, without these truths anchoring us, we're going to live differently. When we're not sure of where we stand, maybe with God and with eternity, we're going to live differently. And that's exactly what the passage today talks about. It talks specifically about the security that we can and should have in Christ. And I believe that if we see this truth for what it is, if we see this truth and rely on this truth, we're actually going to end up living a different way. So what we're going to do is we're going to jump into Romans chapter 8. And I'm going to ask you to turn there with me. So Romans chapter 8 is where we're at. And we've been exploring this wonderful, together as a church, this incredible chapter of the Scripture. Over the centuries, many theologians have praised the book of Romans as being this beautiful book that talks about you know, really the whole message of the Bible. It's a very succinct kind of pulling together of a lot of thoughts and ideas of the Bible. And inside of that book, these theologians typically praise a chapter, and that chapter is Romans chapter 8. So Romans 8 is, if you want to think of it like this, the highlight reel of the highlight reel. Like this is an incredible chapter of Scripture. And so we've been studying it and going through it together. And you guys are quite a way along in this, in this chapter. We're up to kind of the back end now. But what's interesting is this whole chapter talks about these beautiful themes. Colin Dedis actually listed out some of these last week. He said, you know, we've talked about freedom, life, adoption, hope, and security. Now, I know that a lot of you guys are church people, and you've heard a lot of maybe messages and ideas, and so I say those, and you're like, oh yeah, those are good ideas. No, these are incredible ideas. Don't just gloss over those words, freedom, life, adoption, hope, security. These are incredible truths. And so we're going to read from verse 31, but our actual key passage is going to be 33 through 34. 31 is where we start with some rhetorical questions. And the first one that it starts out with is saying, hey, what about all these things that we've said so far? And it's it's saying, what about all of this incredible truth that we've already talked about? And so let's read from there. It says in verse 31 of Romans chapter 8, I'd encourage you to read along in front of you. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, by the way, when it says if God is for us, it's not saying, well, that would be nice or maybe he is. It's saying if as in he is for us. We know that he's for us. So, and then it goes on and says, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not with him graciously give us all? All things. This was the passage for last week. What a good text, right? We go on to verse 33, our passage for this week. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, was raised. 
who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. There are a couple of words in this, these two verses that I think have the potential to be what I'll call rabbit trails. Things that could kind of grab our attention. And they're not bad things, but they're not the point of the passage today. The first one is what I'm going to call the E word, the elect. Okay? There's a whole thing in, in, in Christians where we like to talk about and debate what does election mean? What does predestination mean? What is the sovereignty of God? All of this sort of stuff. And that's not the sermon for today. That's not the point I believe that Paul is trying to make in this passage specifically. A few verses earlier, he was talking about that stuff, and, and Colin Dedis two weeks ago talked about some of those words and talked about how God has this overarching control over eternity past and eternity future and God's sovereignty over all of it. And so I'd encourage you, if you have questions about that, go back and listen to the message from two weeks ago. That'd be a good move. But what happens here is there's actually another, I think, thing that we could get into talking about here, but it would be kind of missing the main point. And that is in verse 34, it talks about the current position of Christ. It tells us there in verse 34 that Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God and that he's interceding, that he's praying for us. Now, this is a beautiful thought and we will touch on this, but we could be distracted by thinking about, okay, where is Jesus right now and what is he doing? And so we're not going to delve into either of those things because I believe the main angle or the main point of this, these few verses is actually to reinforce the unchangeable nature of our adoption in Christ as Christians. This passage is about the unchangeable nature of our adoption. You see, adoption is a key concept in Romans chapter 8, and not just Romans chapter 8, I believe it's a key concept in all of Scripture. Romans 8 talks about the idea that we are actually sons and daughters of God. If you go with me to chapter, sorry, to verse 14 of chapter 8, you'll see this idea kind of laid out in here. And by the way, this isn't just Romans 8 where you hear this idea of adoption. And I believe it really is one of the most beautiful ideas and concepts that we have in Scripture. It says this, verse 14, For all who are led by the Spirit of God, that is, those who are believers who have been sealed by the Holy Spirit, that's what happens when you become a Christian, are sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God. This is a really rich thing. Because what the Scripture is reminding us of here, and we've kind of sung about this already this morning, what the Scripture is reminding us here is that when we become Christ followers, when we are adopted into God's family, this incredible transformation takes place. We go from being enemies of God, that's how we're described, to being children. It's not like God just says, okay, I'll put up with you, we're okay now. No, God says you go from being aliens and enemies, people who are hostile towards Him, to being a part of his family, heirs, welcomed in. Think about like a perfect father and child relationship. That's what he's describing, this incredible transformation that takes place. 
So adoption is this very key concept in Scripture and in Romans chapter 8 and in this passage today. What is adoption though? Like if you had to define that to somebody, how would you describe it? How would you articulate it to maybe my six-year-old twins? I don't know what you'd say to them. I'd probably say something like this. Adoption is the permanent addition of a child to a family. And really one of the key concepts to this whole idea of adoption is the permanence of the status of adoption. You can't unadopt somebody. That's not really a word, unadopting someone. Adoption is this permanent thing, and the picture of adoption is kind of held together with the permanence of that. And it's so important for us as Christians to understand this whole concept and this whole idea. A couple of, well, I guess a year ago when we were together at Nethy Bridge for the weekend away, for those of you who were there, I actually read this quote and I couldn't not read it again because it speaks exactly to what we're talking about. It's a quote from J.I. Packer. And he says this, If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayer and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. So adoption is super important for us to understand as Christians. For those of us who believe, this is an important concept. But there is an unfortunate reality And that unfortunate reality is that the truth of the solidity and permanence of that adoption is eroded sometimes in our hearts by doubt. We doubt the security, we doubt the solidity and the permanence of what God has done done for us in welcoming us into his family. Why do we do this? Why, Why do we struggle to believe that, yeah, I am God's child? We can sing a song, but we can sometimes walk away doubting whether that's true. And I I believe a lot of that comes down to the fact that it's our experience with the human experience that leads us to doubt. What I mean by that is the human experience is one that we watch either our own journey in our own lives or the life of others, and we see this seesaw of life. We see moments where, in maybe our own lives, where we're loving God, where we're passionate about Him. Maybe we've gone to a church weekend, or maybe there's just this moment of prayer where we're like, God, I'm completely yours. And we're on this mountaintop type experience. And then maybe a day later, or a week later, or maybe just hours later, we find ourselves struggling again with a habitual sin. And we're like, okay, what's going on here? Am I really okay with God? Am I really His child? Because my life and my experience is showing me, man, yes, it looks like I'm His child, but then maybe it doesn't. Or maybe you've had the experience of watching somebody else do this seesaw back and forth. And this is where I've got to own up with my own personal struggle with this whole thought, with this whole concept. For many years, I struggled to believe in the permanence of my salvation. And a lot of that was due to the fact that somebody very near and dear to me was on this wild roller coaster ride of life. 
That was my sister. In my sister, I saw in her life brokenness and beauty to the extreme. In her life, I saw her struggling with rebellion and anger through her teenage years. And then at a moment, coming to God with her frustrations, with her brokenness, being baptized and seeing just love and joy and peace and and the fruit of the Spirit all evident in her life. But if I fast forward a few more years, I see her slipping into depression and I see her turning again to drugs and alcohol as a way of numbing pain in her life. And her life went on and it was like this yo-yo back and forward watching this person. I'm like, where does she even stand with God? I, I don't know. Watching this back and forth was just this horrible thing until finally, and, and, and this kind of captures a little bit of her life. She went into the hospital after another episode of struggling with her alcoholism, basically poisoned herself with alcohol. And she goes with my dad down to the chapel in the hospital and writes out this beautiful prayer to God. And a few days later, she passed away. And I don't say this to just stir up emotions, although it does that. I'm not trying to just bring you along on some emotional journey today, but I want you to see the struggle's real. As you watch people or as you watch yourself, the struggle can be real to watch this back and forth. And in this back and forth just led to such questioning in my life. Because we sing songs, like I said, about God never letting us go. But when we look at our own experience or the experience of others like my sister, we doubt. So my question for you is, if we do doubt, which I'm going to guess that many of us have or do, how can we experience freedom from this doubt of the security that we have in Christ? Well, doubts are typically defeated by truths. For example, if, if my neighbor came to me and his had his house broken into and some of his possessions are stolen and he's doubting my innocence... If I can illuminate truth to him by saying, hey, here's my travel records. I wasn't even around when your house was robbed. That truth is going to eliminate the doubt in his mind. If my child comes to me, one of my kids comes to me and says, you know, I'm scared of the, I'm scared, excuse me, scared of the dark. I I think there's something in my room. If I turn on the, the light in that room, the truth is going to illuminate and eliminate the doubt. And truth just does that. It exterminates doubt. And what we have in Jesus is truth. Remember the familiar passage of John 14, 6? What does Jesus say to Philip when he's questioned about who he is? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I am the truth. You see, Jesus is actually the specific solution to our misplaced doubts. He is the light that drives away the shadows of doubt in our lives. 
And so we must look to him and turn to him when we struggle, when we doubt, when we wonder what we can rely on. And that's what we see actually in this text. Look back with me to verse 33 again. It says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. You see, this text is beautiful because what it does is it paints the picture maybe of a courtroom, of this idea that Jesus is standing there interceding for us on our behalf. He is our advocate. He is our defender. And so if you're wondering, okay, if Jesus is my defender, if he's the one coming to my defense in front of a holy God, a righteous God who cannot stand sin, if Jesus is my defender, how bought in is he into that role that he's been given of being my defender? And if you want to look at his resume, what his resume is going to show you, like the text reminds us, is that he was the one who died for us. Jesus Christ is the one who died, more than that, who was raised. So what we see in this scripture kind of played out for us is this concept that we have this advocate, this defender in Jesus. And the good news is that he actually isn't just our defender, he's also the very loved son of the judge who we're standing in front of. And he's interceding for us. He's pleading, he's praying for us. You see, what this picture paints for us again in the scripture is that Jesus is the hero of our salvation. Do you guys understand that? Like that's key to this life and understanding Jesus is the hero of our salvation. You see, if our salvation was up to us, we could lose it. But it's not up to us. It depends on the most dependable being in the universe, Jesus. He is faithful even when we are faithless. And we can know that we know that we know that we are secure in Him today because He is that dependable God. And so the question we must ask ourselves this morning is, will we, declare, will we trust in his declarations or are we going to trust in our own warped imaginings? Do you understand what I'm saying with that? Are we going to trust in what God has said? I, for one, by his grace, want to trust because I believe there are not just there's not just the benefit of the sigh of relief being like, I'm secure. I'm good. God and I are good. There's not just that benefit. You know what? There's another benefit. There's a byproduct to this trust. And that is the fact that it changes my whole outlook on life. It changes my perspective. It changes everything. Maybe to help us understand that a little bit, I I encourage you to picture today a child who is bounced around the foster system. You guys call it the foster system here, right? I meant to check that. Okay, so imagine with me a child who has just gone from maybe one bad foster home to another, maybe spent some time on the street, has just never had a safe or stable home environment. And that child is then taken into a perfect and loving family, like a perfect family. What is that child 
going to feel and to experience in that transition and change? Well, obviously, that child's going to feel love. That's the overarching thing. But I'll tell you what else they're going to start to, to feel is a new security. As they're adopted into that family, they're like, wow, this is my family. And secondly, they're going to start to experience a new identity. They're going to start to say, well, this is my family. This is my last name now. This is who I am. This transition and change is going to happen and they're going to start to feel like they belong. They're going to have confidence, a growing confidence in who they are as that family member in there. And not only that, I also believe they're going to have a desire for others to experience the same love and acceptance that they've experienced, the same security and love that they've experienced. They're going to want to share that. Imagine if this child went on to run into another child that they knew from the foster system. What are they going to say? They're going to say, wow, I've had this incredible adoption into this family. I'm safe. I'm secure. I'm loved. I wish that you could experience what I have experienced. And these ideas, these thoughts should be the things that describe us. If we're Christians, if, if you guys are sitting here today and you would call yourself a Christ follower, those thoughts, those feelings, those actions should describe us as adopted children into God's family. And so my questions for you are these. Are we secure? Do we know that we're secure in Christ? And if we are, is that security leading to a new confidence and identity and maybe even one where we're, where we're saying to others, man, I have experienced this incredible change. How can I not but help share this to the people that God places me around? Earlier on, I referenced the movie Free Solo with the young man climbing this rock face. And as I think about it more, I, I think when we are not Christians... Life is like climbing an endless cliff face, free solo. The consequences are huge, right? If you fall, you're done. There is no rope, there's no end to the cliff. But if we are in Christ, we have an unbreakable rope, an unbreakable truth. And yet some of us act like that rope's not there or that it's not dependable. But this scripture again reminds us that in Christ we are safe. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? We are justified by Jesus. And so I just have a couple of simple questions to finalize our thoughts here together this morning. The first one is this. I'm not going to assume that every person in this room this morning identifies as a child of God, adopted into God's family. And so I just want to put out a call this morning to say, for any of you who may be questioning whether you are even a part of God's family, God tells us in his word that if we confess with our mouth, believe in our heart, confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. Today, you can move from being that enemy to being a part of God's family. And why would you wait another day? You're precariously perched on the cliff of life without Christ. And so I would encourage you 
to come and talk to me or to, to talk with the person who brought you along. I'm not sure if that describes you this morning, but don't live in that precarious position anymore. Today, right now, is a moment that you can make it a change in that regard by just crying out to God. Secondly, if you would say, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christ follower today. I have two questions for you. The first is, do you understand the security of your new status? As I talked about my own journey, and as maybe you thought about your journey and struggle, have you come to a place where you are sure that you're good with God and that there is a permanence to that adoption that you've experienced? Because this is hugely important for us to understand. There was a moment a number of years ago before my sister passed where I came to a place where I had to believe that God was faithful even when we as humans are faithless. Where I believed that when God saves us, it's a permanent thing. I don't fall in and out of my salvation. And so if you, that's, that's a thing of struggle for you, if you've kind of gone back and forth on that, I would really encourage you today to latch hold of what I believe is the truth that God is presenting us to us here. Remember again, it is God who justifies. He is the one who makes us right. And so if that is a back and forth, would you maybe just even in our time of worship here in a moment, just pray a prayer and say, God, I want to believe in what you've declared and I don't want to believe in my own doubts and struggles. Just give that over to him. And I believe that out of that security, out of that place, God's going to start to bring about some really cool things in your life. The third thing is that if you have come to a place where you're like, yeah, I I believe all that you're saying, Hallie, that's good, great. Third question, none of us gets out of the room without something, right, today. The third thing is that if that is you, if that is me today, are we embracing that new identity? Remember, that's going to bring along with it things like a sense of belonging, a sense of confidence in being God's children. And that confidence should overflow out to wanting others to be pulled into this family. Is that being evidenced in your life? Look at your life. Pray, ask God for you to even more so grasp a hold of what it means to be his child today. All of us have something looking at this passage today that we can walk away saying, God, grow me as your child. When we are adopted into God's family, Jesus ensures that there is no way for us to be separated from him. And this assurance should lead to a new type of living. And my simple question is, is that happening? Let me pray for us. God, thank you that you are a faithful God. God, we don't deserve to have you Pay the price for our sins. We don't deserve to have you as our advocate. And yet in your great 
And I would say, mysterious grace, you have offered that to us. Thank you. God, I pray that across this room there would be a sense of thankfulness this morning. There'd be a sense of worship as we think about what you have done for us and how you have secured our adoption. May the transformation that we have experienced, those of us who are Christians, may that overwhelm us with a sense of awe and wonder and worship this morning. God, help us not to be just okay with the fact that we are adopted into your family. We don't want to belittle the immense grace that you have offered us. So God, give us wisdom to know how to even respond now. God, if there is anybody in this room this morning who is doubting, who is struggling to believe that A, that you can save us, or that B, that there is a permanence to that, Lord, I pray that you would illuminate truth by your Spirit and bring wholeness Thank you, God. Continue to work as we respond in these next few moments. Amen.